Welcome to Reforming Slavics. My name is Nick. And I'm Tom. Uh, today we will be talk- talking about total depravity, but in our previous discussions we realized that that's a very triggering word for people who are on the opposite side of the aisle, so um, we will be changing that to radical corruption and discussing what that means and where we get a biblical basis for it and how that really applies to the Christian worldview as a whole. Um, And obviously, if you are any way familiar with Reformed Theology, you know the acronym TULIP. um, The T in TULIP stands for total depravity. And this, the primary text I kind of always go to and really dive into or point to every time I have a discussion or a friendly debate with someone is uh, Romans 3, essentially the entire chapter of Romans 3, Um, but in particular verses 11 and on. So I'll read a couple and kind of go off of there. None is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Oh, no one does good. Not one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom asks are under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The paths in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God there before their eyes. And then I always jump to verse twenty three where it says 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And right off the bat, uh, there was a study done, a poll taken of evangelicals in the United States and they asked their view of human beings, right? And the majority, I believe it was upwards of 70%, stated that they believe that human beings are basically good. Meaning that at basic, the, ba- the basis or the essence, the core of human beings tends to lean or has the propensity toward good. And um, the, if you look at the word core in Latin or in Greek, one of those languages... It references essentially the heart. So the heart of a human being, the very center of the human being, happens to be good. And so human beings have goodness in them, and the solution to the edges or the corrupt nature of humanity can be solved through education and reform and government help. And um, that's kind of the view of humanism. Mm -hmm. And the biblical worldview is quite opposite of that. Because of the fall and since the fall, Adam and Eve were corrupted to the point of ultimately being incapable or bent toward sin. In other words, their spiritual state lies in a place where they do not wish to choose anything that does not ultimately worship themselves. As as a as a fallen person, we don't have the propensity or the ability to choose to worship God. The Bible says we are in enmity 
or at war. We are enemies with God. And recently, Tom and I, you were just talking about the idea that a lot of people say, well, Christianity is a relationship with Christ, right? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And we were talking about the fact that, well, yes, Christianity is both a relationship and a religion. And the fact that you still have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God, even though you're fallen. It just so happens that your relationship is you are at war with absolutely everything God has ever stated or whatever he stands for because you rather worship yourself. And so when you go to Romans 3, um, Paul breaks down, he actually quotes from, I believe it was Isaiah or one of the prophets, that quotation is um, from the Old Testament. And he is displaying the real nature of human beings in its full um, display, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a ton of different citations from Proverbs, Isaiah, Psalms, throughout throughout the Old Testament. And it's very interesting because he he uses the old scripture to say like, hey, this is not a new idea. This is not something that that I just like made up on the spot. No, this this is all throughout the Old Testament. So what exactly do we mean by radical corruption? The word radical has the root word of um in Latin it actually means root. So at our root, at our basis, at the very essence of who we are, there is corruption that lies within. Um, Paul says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That deadness does not mean we are absolutely and the worst possible we could ever be, right? Because tomorrow you can wake up and sin just a little more. So that's not what Paul means here. What Paul means is that at our core, our desires and our will, the things that we want, our wants, are always bent toward sin. Yeah. Right? There's no, like, if, if we see a Y in the road, right? One, the left direction is toward sin, the right direction is toward God. And it seems some people believe we have this why that we could choose every day. Rather, our hopes and desires are always bent to the left. There's no why, there's just a left turn in our in our, in our hearts and desires. Yeah, you're saying without the Spirit. Yeah, and so when a human being, like, when we are born, right, we are born into a world that is... Um, corrupted by the curse that uh, was proclaimed and was laid upon the earth through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Mm -hmm. they became bent, they became corrupted, and their hearts desired sin. And so when we are, David says, "In in sin did my mother conceive me, right? There is this idea that, um, well, the reason we believe that you know children are innocent because we have a, the wrong definition of innocence. We don't understand. Well, we do understand the word of the word innocent, but we just misapply the word innocence. Um, from from the from the very young from the youngest age, when a child decides to act upon something with their will, they want something and they act. It is always in a bent way. There is no. Um, there's no good at the core or at the very basis of any human being, right? Mm. Well, what would you say? Because from our perspective, it looks like sometimes, you know, a kid or a little baby will be like, oh, like out of 
for whatever reason, they decide to share their toy with their other brother. Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that be something that's good that they're doing? Yeah, and again, we're not saying that babies or human beings are incapable of good. Um, human beings do a lot of good things without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit living, you know, re- regenerating hearts. A lot of people do a lot of good, but what radical corruption means is not that they can't do good. Is that all the good they do ultimately is um, bent, and the very the very the very motivation the very desire that come the very will that comes out of their heart for that thing is for self worship and self aggrandizement and pride and all of the you know possibility of being worshipped as. As everyone wants, you know, to be looked at as better, better than they were before. So you're saying they're doing these good things, not for the for the ultimate reason because they love God. Well, yeah, because be- they can't like they can't love God without the without the Spirit, right? The Scripture says we're at war with God. Yeah, we were in Ephesians two one. It says that we were, you know, children of wrath, um, opposed to being children of God. Yeah, when when we are regenerated, we are adopted into God's family, and we become His heirs and adopted as sons and daughters into His family. And prior to that, our relationship with God, which we do have, is one where we are um, awaiting His wrath and punishment for our sin. And so when we say radical corruption, we don't mean that you're incapable of doing good. What we really mean in that is in any spiritual aspect, you will not be choosing God's way. Um, you are incapable of desiring God's thoughts after him. Um, you're like, you are still free to do many things. Like if you have, if you are radically corrupted, right? If you're dead in your sins and trespasses, you can still choose to eat the foods you like or to choose between different beverages. But in this sphere of spirituality, yeah. the, Flesh produces things the works of, of the flesh. works of the flesh, and only to, when the spirit applies life into the heart do we awaken to the reality that God is God. And uh, there is a dissonance in the Christian community that occurred, well, occurred a little bit earlier before the acronym, the acrostic tulip came around. It was when Augustine wrote that essentially God desires or, or God commands us to do things and then he gives this desire to obey those commands. Yeah. And well, yeah, he, Augustine, right, he had a prayer and he was he was telling, he was asking God, give me, um, give me the power to do, to do your commands. Yeah. Pretty much saying that I don't have the power unless you give it, like, unless you give it to me to be able to do it. And there's another guy named Pelagius, and he disagreed with that idea. And he essentially came up with the proposition that men, in fact, are capable of fulfilling God's law through their will and their desires. And that was deemed a heresy and later appeared again in an idea called semi-Pelagianism, which essentially means that man is not capable of, by himself, fulfilling God's law or God's desires, but with the application and the help of the Holy Spirit, man 
men or mankind can choose to submit into God's will. And so this is where the actual acrostic tulip came. The five points of Calvinism came from a post-Reformation discussion with uh, individuals who disagreed with Calvin's points. And they created five specific points that they, or they pulled out five specific points that disagreed with Calvin on. And that's where the acrostic tulip comes from, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're focusing today on the T, um, total depravity, which uh, produces or implies um, a lot of things that it shouldn't imply. Like people jump to assumptions that total depravity means uh, people are absolutely incapable of doing any good or that their entire being and everything they do is corrupt. Rather, um, when you say radical corruption means that at the core of mankind, there is a bend, a propensity towards sin, not toward righteousness. And Paul clearly describes it through um, all the myriad ways of, you know, the human experience in regards to, uh, you know, throats of being open graves, uh, tongues of deceit, uh, their mouths are full of curses, right? Our The way we speak, the way we talk, the way we live, the places we go, um, the fact that we murder, the fact that we don't desire righteousness, that the fact that we lust, all those things Paul sums up and says, yeah. there is not a single individual who can overcome this, meaning that all of mankind is yeah. under this. No man can please God. 3.11, no one seeks for God. There is no God seeker, you know? Yeah, and so that's where we run into the rub between um, classical Arminians, right? People who believe that there is an innate seed of righteousness that uh, God um, kind of enacts and bestows grace upon that grows into the Christian life or uh, the Christian regeneration or the uh, new birth, rather than uh, the perspective of radical depravity or radical corruption or total depravity is the fact that Within our hearts, because we can't choose God, we must have a heart change prior to our desires being transformed into worshiping and following or yeah. pursuing God. Yeah, and John, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, John 3, <clears throat> verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Like, you can't even see the things of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God, unless you're born again. And, and the new birth, uh, <clears throat> Nicodemus was really puzzled and confused because he says, how can I, an old man, you know, go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? Right? Nicodemus says, his whole conclusion is, it is impossible. I am not capable of being born again. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, he said, and then Jesus says that, Right, this what is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He's and, obviously talking about a spiritual, yeah, and the spiritual reality, reality and their spiritual new birth can come out only outside of your volition. We do not choose to be born; we are thrust into this world. Yeah, you imagine me asking you, Nick, why? Why did you choose to be born, or why did I choose to be born on my birthday? Right? Yeah. It is not the will of man, but God's will that makes us regenerate. And that's where, again, the rub comes in. Um, the scriptural view, we believe, is that men are, in fact, dead in their sins and trespasses. And what we mean by dead 
And, and what we mean by radical corruption is that we are incapable of spiritually discerning or wanting to discern good and bad. And so we always choose to worship ourselves rather than God. There is there is no desire within us to love God, to worship God, to seek after God. Yeah. And we clearly get that from the scripture that Paul says, no one looks, no one seeks after God. Hmm. Yeah. See, from a lot of people's experience, um, it's interesting, Nick, because they'll say, well, but at a young age, you know, when I started going to youth, I started feeling like God was calling me. You know, I started, like, what would you say to that? Like, I felt like God was slowly... I would say, amen. <laughs> right? God does call. God yeah. does, uh, you know, the, the, the gospel always goes out. Yeah. But they would say, but ultimately, like, God then left it up to me. I was going to choose him. But but we would say, right, that you you only wanted to desire him because he started to put that into your spirit, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's so many anecdotal and experiential things that we can go off of. Yeah. But what does scripture about say about who loved who first? Right? He loved us. That we may love him. Yeah. It wasn't you who loved God first, but he who loved you. And at the same time where Paul speaks of the fact that um, all were dead, everyone missed the mark, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by his mm. grace as a gift. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because when I like bring this up to so many of my friends uh, that maybe lean more towards Arminianism, they would say like, dude, I totally agree with you. Like with like everything that you're saying, like maybe even right now, but then they don't understand the implications of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Then it leaves way more sovereignty into God in the, in the process of salvation. Well, everyone, everyone would agree with total depravity. And if you ask and you have discussion, this discussion with a lot of people, most people would say, yeah, I believe that ultimately men are corrupt at their core. Not that everything you do is evil, but at, at our center, at our essence, we have sin a sin issue. Most Christians would agree with yeah. that. But then the you comes, which is unconditional election, meaning God's the one who chooses. And then L comes, meaning limited atonement. God is the one who dies for those who he chooses. And that's what starts shaving people off of the T because people start saying, well, I would believe in total depravity, but if total depravity is really true, then the rest of Tulip is just like logical, consequential realities yeah. there, there's no there's no need like it's just logically logic down the logic chain like if we're totally depraved we can't do anything to save ourselves well god's the one who has to choose for us mm-hmm. he has to choose us for us and then he must die for us yeah and um i mean one of the i guess one of the objections would be well yet men are completely depraved right but god acts within that uh like we don't exactly know exactly when but he acts in a prevenient kind of grace where he would just open up you know to every person that's you know on earth they would open up an opportunity for them to have that opportunity to to believe to choose yes or no yeah this discussion could be had in a myriad of ways and and different facets of examples but 
if you get down to the ultimate essence of things, the difference between a person who believes in radical corruption and that God must save for his own eternal purpose, you know, shout out James White, and the person who believes that there is some essence of uh, us choosing God, right? If we are, if those two contrasts are put up, the difference between those, the factor that is different is you're the one who chose, right? If you believe that ultimately you chose in some capacity to follow God, he called, you answered, that must mean it boils down to a choice that you made rather than an irresistible irrevocable call and redemption of God. And this goes up to the very top of what actually happened on the cross. Did Jesus Christ make your salvation potential and then left it up to you to find it, desire it, and pursue it with all his help? Or did Jesus Christ actually pay a specific price for your specific sin and became a propitiation for your sin? like Paul says in Romans 3.24, right? What does propitiation really mean? It means... The appeasement of wrath. For our sin. Our sin. Meaning that there was an actual exchange of wrath and justification that occurred. And once that is a reality, if Jesus Christ actually died on the cross and said, it is finished, to tell us died, and if he actually said that it's complete, there's no more need for payment, Mm -hmm. then that reality stands. And if there's no more need for payment, the application of that saving grace is applied through the Holy Spirit to those who believe. And so uh, it always goes back to not just like, are people bad or people good? It goes back to like, what happened in the cross and what does the scripture say about us? And do those things intersect in a way where it makes sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that, like, oh, like reading like Romans eight seven, it says for the the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, or some translations and enmity with God at war, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, and then it goes on. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Yeah. It, so this this idea that those who are in the flesh cannot even submit to God's law. And what does God's law say to do? To repent and believe in God, to yeah. believe in Jesus, right? And God always asks of you things you can't accomplish. Like, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and might, right? I believe that was those would <laughs> Well, words. I've met Christians that said that they've done that for at least a week or, some, or more. Mm. Which is kind of scary because... Uh, I don't know, it kind of puts you in a kind of like holier than thou. It's kind of really unrealistic, right? It it depends on your definition of sin, right? Yeah. And so we really have to focus in on the fact that um, when Paul says no one seeks for God, no one pursues him, none is righteous, not but one, there has to be a answer to those who do love God, right? How do we love God? Why do we love God? And that has to come from his regenerating our hearts. Yeah. I don't, I, I think that's 
pretty much it. Yeah, well, so just to summarize, when we're saying total depravity, would this be a good example? Like total depravity is not, or radical corruption is not that man is as depraved as he can be, as sinful as he can be, but that instead that he has a kind of bent. He has a, he has no, oh, he has no desire without God's initiation to even love him. Yeah, so our will, the thing that we will, are our desires, the thing we things we want. And we always want, anything we want is outside of God's will unless we, we are regenerated by him. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis in his books uses the word bent for creatures that have turned away in a sense from God. And that sense being that all the things in their center have always been incapable of reaching God's law, God's desires, God's thoughts, God's loves. And the only way we can love and think God's thoughts after him and do his works after him is if he gives us the new heart that Ezekiel talks about. And outside of that, we can function and live and do good things, but we don't do those good things ultimately for God's glory. Right. And so, yeah, because when he says, I will give you a new, a new heart in Ezekiel, right? He says that I'll pull out a stone of a heart of stone and give you a stone of a heart of flesh and I will cause you to walk in my ways. It's and what is that like also in context? uh, Like (laughs) the spirit falling on the dry bones. Like those, he says, prophesy, prophesy that these bones may come alive. Yeah, and the, the bones grew sinew and grew muscle and grew skin and became alive and living beings. And so the state of our heart is those dry bones. And unless God breathes upon them, we are incapable in following, pursuing anything of God's. Um, we can mimic, we can um, copy, and we can do things, but. Again, if you want to psychoanalyze, we are selfish human beings that worship at the very center of our heart, motivations, desires. Mm-hmm. Um, the throne is uh, placed for only only for us in our world, in our, in our lives. The only person on that throne that can possibly sit there is ourselves. So, unless God takes the throne from us, so you're saying every person is religious; they all worship something. Yeah. At the core is themselves, and the way they worship themselves is by self-pleasure, self-gratification, pride, um, you know, attention-grabbing, envy. All those things are acquiring more and more glory for yourself rather than mm. the glory that is due for God. That's why yeah. you know, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You can't do that. The, the the moniker or the um, the mission statement of an unbeliever is the chief end of man is to enjoy man and glorify man forever. <laughs> and that man happens to be me. That's the well, mission statement of every unbeliever. That's what happens when you think that there's no God and you think that you're the highest, like the highest eschion, the highest being in evolution, 
right? There's all these other creatures, but somehow humans have evolved to this greatest state. And that's why people are constantly looking to through psychedelics to try to get these different experiences to to try to find these other higher spirits to guide them to do these things because deep down they know that there's some kind of way that they could become closer or they have some kind of desire to worship something right and then they if you're just honest with yourself you'll be like oh man i'm not i'm not that good you know yeah that if you keep on looking to yourself you'll and that's why people keep on looking to other things and that is why um in romans one it said you know it goes out through it discusses the depravity of man and it um that's yeah. why God, God, like verse 25, I was going to just take a couple verses, um, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but to him, but became futile in their thinking and became foolish and the hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for immortal God, the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things, meaning that, that, that the creations of man that were gods were just in following in the images of who they were to begin with it is a self-worship process Hmm. go ahead sorry yeah no that's pretty much what i was gonna say like verse 25 you know because they exchanged the truth for god a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever amen it's this idea of like, if you, if man, if God didn't interfere with man, you know, after he put them into the fall, they would just keep on going deeper, deeper depravity. And that's honestly what we saw. Like after Adam, there was that time that they just kept on getting worse and worse. To the it's, point where God had to wipe the, every single person out yeah. with the flood except for eight people. Yeah. And that's just. The amazing thing is we see the gospel keep on working throughout, uh, you know, our country and throughout like China and through all these other countries is that eventually the truth of God helps them glorify the real person that deserves worship, God. And then it's no longer about us, which honestly demoralizes and it becomes very selfish. That's what happened, what we saw with our parents in the USSR is that the atheist mind worldview is, hey, whatever it takes, we're going to help humanity go and evolve into this better, su- we're going to have this super utopia. We're going to have this super well-fitted uh, new system. Yeah, I mean, the communists wanted a utopia. The um, fascists wanted a superman. Um, there's always this progression that people desire. And ultimately, it boils down to the fact that we try to replace God on the throne in our own lives, and we can't because ultimately, you know, it's His world. He's the one who created it. We, our software, our hardware, we function religiously, mm-hmm. and we can't replace the ultimate um, purpose, the logos, the, the literal purpose that we exist for with anything and have it satisfy us and so satisfaction comes from pursuing and enjoying christ